0: Pretty Big Deal is made possible by Adidas. Thanks to the friendly people at Adidas for supporting us. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley Graham, and this is Pretty Big Deal. Today we're going to be tackling some of my favorite subjects. Beauty, business, culture, and owning who you are. All right, so here we are. In my dressing room, and I want to say, "What's up to Darcy Linda?" Hola, my right hand lady. Darso, how you feeling? So good. You so died. good. Duh. She's the best Always. assistant in the whole freaking and you're world. The best boss ever. <laughs> <laughs> so for today's guest, we're going to be talking to journalist, trailblazer, activist, feminist, and my new BFF, Noor Hi! Hi
1: beauty. Okay, hold on. So this podcast is called Pretty Big Deal.
0: Pretty Big Deal. So does that
1: mean I'm a pretty big deal? You're
0: a pretty big deal. They're a pretty big deal. I'm a pretty Are big deal. Are you a pretty big deal? So we might as well just name the podcast Pretty Big Deal.
1: This is the best. That's the best name ever. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Oh. So happy. Okay, so for all of you out there, just want to let you know, Nora and I became best friends in literally like thirty seconds. Yeah, we were on a beauty panel, yeah. and you were wearing this cute little tuxedo outfit, <laughs> and you walked in. We actually met in the bathroom. We were both touching up our makeup. Yeah, and it was during Fashion Week last February. Yep. So we met in the bathroom, and then we had the panel, and we just.
1: And I remember I was with my backpack, were, and I was like you, skipping, yes, I was like sir. okay, and you because, were like
0: wait. Because cut to when I reenacted how we met, I was like, <laughs> "Hi, I'm Noor. It's so nice to meet you," and you were just <laughs> so bubbly and happy. That's literally what happened. And then we got on the panel, and you <laughs> impressed me. I was like, "This chick is hella smart and yeah. so well spoken." I mean, seriously, like, I was like, okay, I want to be friends with her. Like, she's she's incredible. And also, we're with the same agency, so that helped. That did help. And then
1: I I remember we were talking, and then I said, like, on the panel, I, like, made a joke, and I was like, and we're just going to be best friends. And by the way, somebody from the agency two days ago, like, asked if we had stayed friends because they were like, it was instant chemistry on stage. I just want to know, like, is that, did you guys, like, become friends after that? And I was like, yeah, we actually did. And I remember because... I was going to hit you up and then I was just after we were leaving and then we took a selfie and you literally took my phone and like put your number in it. <laughs> and I was just like, I guess so, I don't really <laughs> have a choice. We're which just gonna- by the
0: way, I'm so not that chick. It was just no, like... No, I
1: know. I, ne- I wouldn't even think that you are. It's just like, it was kind of... Like we just knew we had to do this. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then we linked up and we had coffee with your amazing husband Adam. Yeah, had so much fun. And then and we saw Ludicrous. <laughs> what? We saw Ludicrous. We saw Ludicrous. This is like a very random story. Oh, Dursel, have you ever seen Ludacris? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, so this is yeah. what happened. We're literally sitting. In Soho House. And Nora's <laughs> telling this intense story, and she goes, isn't that ludicrous? And I was like, that is so ludicrous. I can't believe that happened. But then in her head, she was like, what kind of person uses that word, uses word casually? That word? And then Nora starts laughing, and she goes, no, that's ludicrous oh, right no. <laughs> there. I was
1: like, and we started laughing so hard, and his entire table just looked at us like... Yeah, like we were like we
0: were laughing at them. Yeah, and really, we were. They had nothing to do with it, but everything though. And then I kind of so twisted your arm and <laughs> asked you to come drive with me, and we were Thelma and Louise. Yeah, she asked me
1: to. <laughs> she asked me to. You you asked me to drive up and down the coast of California four days before the <laughs> trip started, and it was like, "Hey, can you come out to California yeah. and do this road trip with me?" And for charity, no joke. For it was for charity, right? But, like, the reason I knew it was meant to be was because that was the only five days I had free that summer.
0: Yes, yes, like
1: only five days. and I was just like, there's no way this is random. It because, was a God thing. Yeah. And it later we realized it really was a God. Thing it is and we're gonna talk about, fell about into that place, yeah,
0: because we realized how much we have in common through our faith, which I thought was so remarkable, especially coming from Christian and Muslim world, totally. And then just being able to like, have these intense, amazing conversations because yeah. when you're stuck in a car with someone, it all comes out. And you know what happened? That's true.
1: And <laughs> like, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, we're in this car. We're gonna be in this car for like twelve hours together. And, of course, we have to, like, take a bunch of content because right. this is, like, I mean, we're trying to raise money and whatever. And I just remember we were driving, and I was like, wow, I think we took our phones out for a total of, like, 30 seconds.
0: We didn't take much content. Yeah. I mean, you made Sorry. a really cute video, though. I did make a cute yeah. video,
1: and and that was great. But also, <laughs> like, it just ended up being, like, I don't know. You know how I can summarize it? And I've, I've told people this because people have um. asked about our road trip. Like, it's so wild to me that I felt like my friendship with you brought me closer to God than yes. people who are of the same faith of me.
0: Wow. Isn't that
1: wild? I got chills. Yeah. We literally talked about it all the time. And it was one of those things where, like, I feel like sometimes when you bring up spirituality and faith and religion— Like people get uncomfortable or they're just like they don't really see eye to eye or it can just come off as preachy. And Mm -hmm. we were literally teaching each other the entire time. Mm -hmm. And like every time we would get out of the car, it felt like we were on a spiritual high. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, wow, man, like this is so meant to be. And nobody knows that like we're having this moment. And it was so precious. Yeah, there was
0: no cameras. There was no other people. There was no one there to judge us. We were completely judge free to each other. I mean, we might as well just talk about it now, Chase Louise, Mm -hmm. because. For you, your faith you wear on your sleeve, yeah. and for me, I mean, being a Christian woman, it wasn't something that I'm just like I'm not wearing crosses all down my body and like yeah. you know being so like I'm a Christian. I mean, kind of. I mean, no, I'm I mean, just kidding. I, I really and like, and I'm posing for Sports Illustrated, and <laughs> and then people were like, oh, maybe that doesn't go hand in hand, but it was this natural conversation that I that you let me have with you because you do have. A hijab, and because it is, you are wearing your faith on your sleeve. You allowed me to just be like, so why did you choose to have the hijab? Tell me about Muslim. Tell me about Islam. Tell me about like what it is it all mean. And when you get to be so honest and open with someone, that's when you're able to learn.
1: Why do you think? And I'm gonna kind of turn the tables on you because I
0: want to talk about it.
1: Why do you think talking about this makes people so uncomfortable? And What do you think people should know going into like asking questions about things that they just don't know?
0: Well, I think people are afraid of the unknown. Right. And I think that people are stuck in their own box of what they know and they either only want to know what they know or if they're curious, they're going to ask. But I think a lot of people when it comes to religion or race, um, even politics, don't want to ask questions because they don't want to ruffle people's feathers. Right. Or they don't want to come across as a racist or a bigot or whatever, like, or that they're not okay with something. So the moment you start asking questions is the moment like, well, Well what? You don't like that? It's like no, sometimes you ask a question. Genuinely. You genuinely want to know. know. You wanna learn and grow.
1: But I also feel like, and this is something that I think is so important because especially just as a Muslim American, and I think like most Muslim Americans generally want people to ask them questions because our community is so misrepresented in the media and in politics and just in this country in general. And so we're just like, oh my gosh, ask us. I would rather me tell you about what I believe and what I practice than an older white guy on right. television telling you what I believe in practice. And sometimes there are people who like, even when I try to explain things to them, they'll like point in my face and yell and be like, well, no, that's not true. This is what you believe. And I'm just like, well, I've been practicing <laughs> this for 25 years, so like, where's your logic? Mm-hmm. However, I do think that when it comes to having these conversations and just asking those questions, intention really comes through and matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if your intention genuinely is, like, curiosity and wanting to learn, like, you can't get offended by that. I never get offended. There is – Like, never a stupid question. And, like, I've gotten asked several times if I shower with my hijab on. And I still (laughs) won't. But, like, and it sounds silly, but I'll still answer it. Like, no, actually, I don't. Like, I don't sleep in it. I don't wear it at home. And you're not
0: offended by it. And I'm not
1: because, honestly, it takes a lot of courage for you to ask that question. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of courage for you to, like, inquire about something that is so demonized in the media. And so I appreciate the fact that you're doing it. However, I also know when people are being condescending or of when course. people have a bad tone. And it really just comes off of with your tone. But, like, if you're like, hey, I genuinely want to learn and I genuinely want to know the answer to this, mm-hmm. then I am an open book and I'll tell you anything.
0: Mm-hmm. I always tell, like, my family um, when Justin came in and we had a lot of, like, race conversations, I was like, all you need to do is just ask. And if you ask out of love, yeah. then then he's going to answer out of love, but you have to ask because he doesn't want to be a black man in this white family when he comes back to Nebraska with me and have nobody want to talk about race with him. Right. And I'm sure that you felt like that as well, growing up in Maryland, being the yeah. only hijabi girl in a in a very white school. Like, yeah. Well, what, what I was actually your didn't
1: have so. I walked into my first grade class and I sat down next to the only other girl with dark brown hair and asked her if she was Muslim because I'd never seen another wow. girl with dark brown hair. I didn't have the courage to put on the hijab in that town. I didn't put it on until after we moved. My mom was like... The At only. what age are you...
0: Can you put it on very young? So
1: you can put it on whenever you want. Okay. Um, you're supposed to put it on once you get your period. Right. Um, I because didn't that's like becoming that. a woman. Yeah. Okay. I didn't do that. Um, I put it on when I was turning 16 years old. My mom put it on in Selma, Alabama after I was born. Wow. Um, so it's one of those things that like, you really have to be, I, I'm weary about saying, be ready to do. It just has to be something in your heart because I don't think you're ever completely ready to like put on your identity or wear something like that on your sleeve. Well, it's
0: like a personal relationship with, with God that it's you, that 100%. You have.
1: And mm-hmm. that's, it's literally something that's only between you and him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is why when people like assume or say things or or ask like, oh, did you wear that for your dad? Or did you wear that for your husband? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it has literally nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's a direct relationship with me and God. And it also gives me like the courage and strength to maintain a sense of identity in a world where it's really, really hard to find yourself. And on top of that, it's something that, to me personally, keeps me so grounded because I know who I am. I know what I represent. And then I also- And it's a daily reminder. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a daily reminder of, to me, living for something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. So when I step foot outside, I know that like I'm on this planet to do good and to serve other people and like try to do my best to like leave a footprint because I'm doing everything with the intention of pleasing God.
0: I love that. I love that. I really do. What was the moment like for you when you first put on the hijab? Because I could imagine like for so long you didn't have it and then your mom was wearing it.
1: Yeah, my mom was wearing it. And to be honest with you, before I wore it, my little sister was wearing it. So my little sister like wore it when she was 12. Like even my parents were like, are you sure you want to do that right now? Like, and it was something that she was super committed to. And growing up, I swore I would never wear it. Really, um, I n- always did. I actually have a recording of my mom that I use in my talks now. Of me and her talking about like when I put it on and when she put it on. And she, she
0: recorded you talking.
1: About no, 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 no. Oh. I recorded. I wanted to have this conversation Got it, because you're a to journalist. Share with yeah. Because I'm a journalist. <laughs> Um,
0: I was like, keep the receipts on your mother, please. (laughs) (laughs) Mama, Mama, I got the receipts. I know what you said. (laughs) You
1: know, oh my gosh. I have to thank her for even doing that because she gets so nervous about like just being on camera, being on voice recording. And I use it in my talks now and I play it for thousands of people. But there was a question (laughs) that I asked her and I said, well, how did you feel when I put it on? And she was like, well, if I'm being completely honest with you, I didn't even think you would keep it on. So it didn't really matter to me. And she was like, I believed in you and a lot of other things. But with that, I was just like, that's just not something that... Because I was so against it. And the reason I was so against it was because growing up, I thought that the only way I was going to be on television, which I knew I wanted to be a journalist since, right. like before I even knew what that word meant. Mm-hmm. And the only way I was going to be on television is if I looked like the people I saw on television. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, never going to wear that. Couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand the fact that like my mom looked different than anybody else. Couldn't stand the fact that like the kids in my school would be like, because my mom was a guidance counselor and she would like surprise me and bring me lunch. And I remember like the only thing I used to pray for as a kid is that, that she would, she would forget it. it yeah. Yeah. And so... and. And now she knows all of this and she's like, I mean, I totally get that and I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where no one really thought it. And I w- and it just like, yeah, it just didn't seem like something that I would do. And so when I did it, it was because I was really struggling with my identity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Because I've spent so much time trying to be like other people. Like I had periods of time when I would – like dye my hair blonde and wear colored contacts who were you looking at that you
0: wanted to be like
1: so at the time the people that we were watching because we didn't have social media at the time Mm -hmm. was like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie on The Simple Life
0: oh yeah I definitely watched that which I loved like I watched
1: it with my mom yeah but It was like that and whatever I would watch on, like, the Disney Channel. And everybody I saw was, like, blonde hair and blue eyed. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is what people on television looked like, which is also why my absolute biggest inspiration growing up was Oprah Winfrey because she was, like the first of many she mm-hmm. was a legend and she was somebody who constantly maintained her identity mm-hmm. and it wasn't and i remember like there's a girl who messaged me a few years ago and she was like i remember in third grade on the bus where you used to say like i'm going to be oprah when i grow up and i used to swear that like i was like this is what i'm going to do ditto and it was because like did that, you say ditto what oh please I every, but i think everybody, <laughs> everybody wants, wants to be oprah, be oprah. everybody no, did it <laughs>
0: Excuse me. You never told me that. I had a party on the last day and I was sobbing on her last show day. Oh my God. Right. I was so upset.
1: You know, I was so upset because growing up, like my aunt always told me like one day I was going to be in the audience of Oprah. And when I found out she was like canceling her show. And you
0: would never have the opportunity. (laughs) I was devastated. devastated. Like
1: right now, like my heart hurts a little bit just saying that because I was like really upset. But you'll be able to. Have you met her yet? I was on her network. I haven't yes. met her yet, but I know I'm like Casual on her
0: network.
1: <laughs> you met her.
0: Yeah, we 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 held hands. <laughs> yeah,
1: like that's a big we took deal. A picture.
0: <laughs> but you know what? She's like, like the only I person ambushed we would... her though. I totally ambushed but her. But you can. Uh, she did. She wasn't like into the ambush. Oh. Um, <laughs> if it weren't for Gail King and like She's amazing. I mean, and Gail being like, hey. Do me a favor here. I don't know what Gail said to Oprah, but basically she was like, she Gail put her back to me, said something to Oprah, and Oprah goes, Come here. And like I went and reached hands with her and we took pictures. And then I was like, I love you. You're on my vision board. You're gold. You're my everything. You're,
1: <laughs> you're on my vision board. Oh
0: my god. She was gosh. like,
1: mm-hmm. She was so like, so anyways. Everybody. And Honestly, like, I don't even know what I would
0: say because I feel like anything I would say, everybody said to her before. Ex- that's the thing. And you, it, with Oprah, everybody said everything. So I feel like, and if I just started talking about myself, she'd be like, that's nice, dear. So I think, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't you. know. It's like, what do you say <laughs> to Oprah except for thank you?
1: Okay, Oprah was the first of many. And so then when I, when I was dealing with this identity crisis and I put on the hijab, I remember, like, holding it and looking in the mirror
0: mm-hmm. and
1: saying to myself, if she was the first, I can be too.
0: Yeah. And that was the
1: promise I made myself. And and so there's like one thing that I, that a lot of people don't really know about kind of my journey because a lot of people found out about me when I – publicly said like i'm going to be the first hijabi anchor on american television but the fact of the matter is it was a thing that i was going to do from when i was a child and that was literally me putting it into the universe Mm -hmm. and saying this is what i'm going to do and i'm going to make it happen so it was something that i always wanted to do regardless and literally after i put on the hijab my mom was like why don't you just homeschool the rest of your high school and start college at 16 so you can get a head start and i was like done i can leave high school hell yeah
0: mind blown yeah And then I did it. That's why you're so intelligent because you had that like at home learning. Oh,
1: my dad, like when I was a child, used to like pull up news articles and talk to me as if I was like as an adult and be like, this is what you need to know. Ted Koppel opened a wing up in my my dad's hospital and my dad took me to meet him and at the ribbon cutting ceremony and he only ended up – only ended up talking to me as opposed to like the rest of the press and like just gave me a bunch of life advice on becoming a journalist. And my dad was like, this is what you need to do. And then a couple years later, I took him to another event with Ted Koppel. So it was just like
0: destiny. Yeah, totally. My
1: parents are the only
0: reason I am where I am today. Did you have this moment where you were like, I am going to be a storyteller?
1: So I, growing up, I was very good at asking questions and telling stories. I mm-hmm. wasn't really good at like sports. I wasn't really good at art, but like I could talk anyone's ear off. She's and a I'm- chatty Kathy. I love, yeah, like, so I, like <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, but like, so are you. I I love it. That like, we met. Like, that's why we like have to like exactly. pause and take breaths in between our conversations. Cause yes. it's like, Ooh. But we also,
0: in the car, like, we were allowing each other to speak. And then we'd be like, and yes, and
1: this, and yeah. this. Yeah, but no, we would have so to. It was so beautiful. It really was. Yeah, we could have recorded the entire thing and made it just this
0: podcast. Oh my God. And then and we would have broken the video- internet.
1: Yeah, that's honestly, though, with
0: the amount of questions we asked each other about our faith and yeah, sex dude, and dating that and. Was- All of it was just like, wow. It was beautiful. It was awesome.
1: I'm I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Storytelling moment. So I was 11 years old and my grandmother took me to her mosaic class mm-hmm. and it was like a senior citizen mosaic class and it was filled with a bunch of old people. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love talking to old people. Like it's like a hobby Dido. of mine. I totally. Love. Right. It's
0: fa- fun? No, but my father's 82. So it's right. like I grew up with older people. Ugh. So I'm just like best friends. Like Total- <laughs> always. Immediately.
1: Always. Like every time I sit next to an older person on a plane, I just talk their ear off and I yeah. ask them a million questions. <laughs> and no joke. And so. What was I- the
0: Cold War like? Oh no.
1: No, no, but no, like actually no, though, I, I was on a plane last week and I spoke to a cardiac surgeon who's a Harvard professor and he told me like all of these wild things about Vietnam while he was there because he was one of the only like specific doctors there and he told me a lot of stuff I feel like I can't even say on camera right now. <gasps>
0: well can you it record? A it? You yeah, recorded yeah, we'll keep record it? Keep it. Okay, okay, so, so mosaic, anyway, mosaic Mosaic class. old people moms. Okay grandmother. Gra- oh, grandma.
1: Yeah, because my mom isn't old no. at all. I thought your
0: mom <laughs> took you, but your grandmother took you. No, my took grandma you. took
1: me. So then what happened was I went around and I talked to every single person there and I asked them all these questions. A lot of them were World War II veterans. And then this old man stood up in the middle of the class. And I kind of wonder if my grandma remembers this. And he looked at me, and he cut me off and he said, you know, young lady, we've been in this class for three months and didn't know more than each other's names. And now we all know each other's life story. Oh. And like, at that moment, I knew I had Oprah potential. Wow. Yes. Yeah.
0: I love that. Yeah. Was there a groundbreaking moment for you where you were like, okay, this is a story I want to tell. And I want people to hear it from my point of view. Yeah. Um, oh, there is. No. Oh, good. Totally, 100%. Oh, I want to hear about it.
1: So <clears throat> I got my, so I got my, like dream job, right? As a local news reporter, which was something that I was working towards my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I still had, it wasn't easy. Like it wasn't easy to go out and talk to strangers because my videographer was a young black woman with dreads and I'm a hijabi and people thought we didn't belong. Like people would literally be like, um, are you guys sure you're at the right place? And so one in April, 2015, when, um, Freddie Gray was murdered, there were protests in Baltimore and I was asked to go cover the story. And I remember outside of City Hall, there were all of these like media trucks and everybody was eating like sandwiches out of brown paper bags. And uh, we had to cover this like standard story. And we start walking to our car and this like young white guy who was like a little bit high, like was beaming with a smile and looked at us and was like, walk down a couple of blocks and you'll see one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. And so we did it. And when we got there, it was so beautiful and everybody was outside of their homes wearing I Bleed Orange, which is the color for Baltimore Orioles, Orioles, um, their shirts, they were dancing and crying and laughing. And there was a Michael Jackson impersonator standing on top of, dancing on top of a car and people were coming up to us saying, can I share my story with you? And not a single- Because you were there with a
0: camera and they knew that they could get it out. And no one
1: else was there with a camera and- they, they knew they could trust us right. because they knew that... we were
0: minorities like them. Exactly.
1: And so I remember Erica, my videographer at the time, and I looked at each other and we started crying. And we mm. were like, wow, like this is the story that we were meant to tell. Mm. And after we did that story, I quit my job at the station and I pursued a documentary on my own. Um, and I shot it on like a broken camera and basically was like, I'm going to find the stories that are often misrepresented in our community and the subcultures of America that people don't get to see. And also people don't really get to build trust with because oftentimes the media is distrusted because we do oftentimes misrepresent people and, and, and no one ever asks, like, how is the way I'm covering the story going to affect the community, the communities I'm talking about? And that was a question that I had to develop on my own. And so bringing it back to like, even just putting on hijab, this was never something I even thought about, like going into journalism. I never thought about what it was like to be misrepresented or to be a minority. And when I got to that place, because before I like while I was doing job interviews and trying to get hired, people would ask me like, if I could take it off. They're like, can't you just take
0: it off for the job? Isn't that so disrespectful?
1: Yeah, it absolutely is because I wouldn't ask you to take off your identity, but also like it just, what's sad about it is that they don't realize that for you to be successful media outlet, you need to be representative of the people in your community. And America is an incredibly diverse place. And yet we still don't care enough to diversify and be inclusive of everybody that it entails. Right. So anyway, um, I made a promise to myself that those were the stories that I was going to cover. And eventually when you put that intention out there, it just it skyrocketed. Happens. Yeah, it ha- totally. Are you a vision
0: board girl or?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> beyond a vision board girl. I like got Adam into vision boarding my husband and I've gotten my sisters into, I actually
0: made a YouTube video on how to make a vision board. What's your you gotta, like, gotta what's your, it. what's your thing? Do you like get a uh, like, a cardboard, and you, like, cut things out of Google. And so like-
1: I, I'm, i like, super organized. I At first I wanted to, like, spend time, like, cutting up stuff from magazines, and then I was, like, I know exactly what I want and who I want to become. I'm just going to make it myself. And so I just, like, write out everything in, like, a specific font, and they're all affirmations.
0: Oh, it's all words, no oh. pictures?
1: And then I oh. add photos to each thing, and I use, like, Pinterest and stuff to, like, find it, and I just, like, try to make it super organized. And sometimes... Like, I'll even use photos of, like, myself or things that I've already done. To
0: envision yourself in it.
1: Exactly. Well, so the the reason, the photo that, like, went viral of mine in 2011 or 2012 was of me sitting at an anchor desk, and then the anchor po- took a picture of me, and I posted it as my Facebook picture, and I said, this is what my dream looks like, and I'm going to make it happen. And... At the time, I was obsessively shadowing journalists. Like, obs- I would email hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was like, hey, can I bring a cup of coffee to your work? Hey, can I bring lunch to your work? You're even just a if little hustler. Break-
0: oh, right? my gosh.
1: I didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, I was always, always, always. And I would always introduce myself as a broadcast journalism major, even if I- when I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And ended up getting, like, a- an internship <laughs> offer randomly on stage one day. Because that's how I introduced myself. I put everything I wanted out there.
0: I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Queens, queens. This is why you're my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) You already know the Cash App is the number one finance app in the App Store. What you might not know is that you can also put Cash App in your wallet with the Cash Card. It's the only debit card that offers instant rewards and comes packed with premium features not even a credit card can offer, like boosts. Save up to 10% at Whole Foods, Chipotle or Shake Shack and more of your favorite spots, or even a dollar off coffee every time you swipe your cash card at coffee shops across the country. The cash card puts you in control of your money with extra safety features that let you pause your card with a touch. Unlike the credit card, there are no fees ever and a credit check isn't required. We are not using the other apps anymore. Visit the App Store or Google Play to download the Cash app now and get your free cash card today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with my BFF journalist, activist, and feminist, Noor Tagori. Okay, so there's this... Really interesting thing that Balmain has just done. You know, Balmain, the, yeah, of the, course. the designer, yeah uh, the fashion brand. Um, and they just unveiled that they are using these like CGI models. And it looks like it looks like Facetune on steroids, to be completely honest. And they're modeling the clothes, they're they're pushing they them on social people? media. No, but they've named them. They've totally named them. And and I wanna know, like, From a from a brand standpoint, I think it's interesting because it generates like conversation, right? And it's like you know we're moving in that the that direction of everything going kind of AI. But what do you think that does for the perception of beauty and fashion Mm. in the culture that we're in today? That's a great
1: conversation because that was one of the thing. Sorry, that was one of the things that we talked about in terms of just like how we choose to represent. Ourselves on social media or on camera, and the honesty that we want to like portray in who we are. So I struggled a lot growing up with like obviously the color of my hair. I remember somebody told me like you have really beautiful eyes at my dad's work, and I told Mm -hmm. them like no my eyes aren't pretty because they're not blue. Wow. And like I had this like really distorted and you know and what's wild is that like my mom always like did like affirmations in the mirror and like would say like who's that beautiful girl and like. As amazing as that is, when you're growing up, like for me, that wasn't enough because I didn't see it everywhere else, right? Right. And so I remember I struggled a lot with like makeup and just like going out of the house without makeup. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I would have to have like makeup on to like look beautiful and stuff. And so I got to a point where I just like stopped wearing it when I would go out just to like relearn to like love myself. Mm -hmm. And I made this video like called I'm Not Tired because I was so tired of people asking me like, are you tired when I wouldn't wear anything on my face? And um <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Yeah, it really is. Cause I'm just like, no, actually I had eight hours of sleep. Like I didn't have eight hours of sleep last real night. Good. But I felt really good. I just
0: decided not to wear mascara.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with makeup, like if you are in a place where you're confident with and without it, then it's great, have fun, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's interesting because I wonder what their intention behind it is. Um,
0: I wonder too. I I don't really know. Like, is it to tap
1: into like AI and be like super different and cool? Um, Or are we having like honest conversations of what beauty standards are and what you know people, like a lot of beauty brands build their reputation and make a lot of money on people's insecurities. Yes. And so instead of being honest with like, hey, I have like acne or freckles or- But the
0: brands that are thriving right now are the ones that are talking about like, oh, I've got back fat. Oh, I've- But hi, guess what? That
1: was what our New York, the reason we bonded so much was because our conversation at the panel in New York Fashion Week was literally on this topic. Mm -hmm. And it was on changing the face of beauty. And what does that actually look like? I want my little sisters to be able to look up at beauty ads or fashion ads and be able to say, "Hey, that looks kind of like me. I would look
0: great in that." That's why they need people who have who look like us, who are different compared to but what is happening like in the fashion about, industry. Hey,
1: like this is how we learn – like this is how we've learned well, yeah, to love ourselves have to have these against all of this.
0: I honestly think that having these CG kind of models in in these brands or even in this campaign is moving backwards because you're only representing and proving that there is still a beauty standard that women have to live up of, to. Of like ultimate perfection. perfection. Exactly. Right. Because no. a thigh gap, I mean I'm sorry, or the perfect skin, the perfect hair – Nope, it just doesn't exist. All Only right, uh, everybody, I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on all this knowledge that Noor is pouring onto all of us. So make sure you go to that Anchor app, leave me a little voice message. They can and leave I'll, voice message. You can leave a voice message. That's awesome. And I can talk back to them. I know. And it's all in the after show. Okay, so I want to talk about Sold in America Ooh, because yeah. this is groundbreaking.
1: So Sold in America is... Yes, tell us everything. An investigative report on the sex trade in the U S and it started out as something that was solely on sex trafficking. And then when I started doing the reporting, I was like, Oh wait, I can't actually cover trafficking in the U S without covering the entire sex trade in the U S so that people truly understand it. And then we do right by the story. And so it was supposed to, it was started out as like a few months and now it's been like two years that we've been reporting on this. Um, so the podcast is like a deeply personal, deeply reported eight episode piece. Um, so many people have worked on it. It's been an incredibly challenging and
0: rewarding
1: two years because mm-hmm. this is a topic that I've been passionate about since I was like 14.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and Wait, why have you been so passionate about sex trafficking?
1: So this is actually in the, so this is actually in the first episode. Um, and it's like the first time that I really talk about this publicly, but I experienced like my first encounter with sexual violence was when I was 12 Um, And it involved a stranger in an elevator, and it was very, very traumatizing. And um, I remember, of course, Oprah comes back into the story. I remember (laughs) Oprah bought on Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wudan, who are these two journalists, and they had covered um, trafficking in Asia, and they had written this book called Half the Sky. And I immediately bought it, and I read the stories of girls who were uh, exploited, and I was devastated because i i physically could not understand what they had gone through and i couldn't understand that that existed and so i promised myself that like if that was so traumatizing for me then i couldn't imagine what they had gone through and i wanted to dedicate myself to this this cause um i i believe that like finding your purpose is combining causes that pain you with your skills and your talents so like my skill was storytelling and these were the causes that pain me so i wanted to to talk about these people. And, and so it's
0: an experience that you had also gone through.
1: Yeah. Not on the level that they've gone through, but that's but still, but that's literally where the passion came from. And so I, um, so I was obsessed with it. I like wrote papers on it. My first report, um, that I did in local news was on a trafficking survivor in DC. And then this was like the first docu-series that I pitched when, um, I later got a job in digital. And so this was something that I was like, Committed to doing. And when I went on the ground and I like saw, I had never like actually immersed myself in this world. And I saw that, oh my gosh, wait, there's trafficking that's not only happening in the US, but figuring out why it was happening here. And then figuring out what exactly the spectrum of the sex trade in the US looked like was mind-blowing because I was living in DC at the time and the exploitation that was happening to young people there and people across whatever age um, was happening while you could see the U.S. Capitol in the background. And, it, and to me, that was very disturbing. So we spent these two years um, traveling across the country and doing reporting on – sexual exploitation and survival sex and the decriminalization movement of sex work and actual legal prostitution.
0: What was the biggest thing that you learned that you thought, oh my God, I can't, this is something that I never thought would be in this series. So for
1: sure, I think like the biggest realization I had was that The re like that our society as a whole, and it was it was something that I think I like knew, but I didn't see it with my own two eyes, was we have such a lack of a social safety net for people at the margins of our communities. And so when people talk about sex work in general. It's always seen with, like, this moral lens, right? And this, like, moral viewpoint and this moral compass. And And you
0: broke it. You actually, like, proved that there was, like, reasoning why women or even men were doing what they were doing. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't –
1: and people would ask me, like, oh, like, how do you feel covering this topic? How does your family – whatever. And they would bring up the word morals. And I was like, you know what's immoral? What's immoral is the fact that – In the United States of America, we are experiencing a housing crisis and there are people who cannot afford to live anywhere. There are families who can't put food on their tables and there are people who are experiencing the disease of addiction and we don't have the facilities and the resources to help them the way that we need to. That's what's immoral. And there are people who who engage in trading sex because that's what they want to be doing. But the laws surrounding sex work affect everybody involved. They affect the people who are being trafficked. They affect the people engaging in survival sex and they affect the people who are doing sex work consensually. And what happens is when laws are made, they everybody on the spectrum are not taken into consideration. So earlier this year, um, a law passed called FOSTA-SESTA, which is like the Stop Sex Trafficking Act. Um, and basically it holds websites all over the internet accountable for like the trading of sex for money or food or whatever. And so sites like Craigslist have to take down their uh, personal page or like, websites and forums and um, message boards where, like, sex workers would put bad, like, date lists on to, like, be like, okay, make sure you stay away from this man. Like, all of that was taken down. And it was in an effort to end trafficking. Hmm. But the people who passed the laws didn't talk to sex workers in the process. And now there are people engaging in sex work who are dying. They just did surface. Right, because they're like, oh, if we take down these sites, sex trafficking will end. And while it's, like, well-intended, one, sex trafficking is not going to end. And two, people are actually... It's more harmful. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is a lot of people with good intentions end up hurting a lot of vulnerable people. And there's like this huge lack of communication.
0: Mm -hmm. Clearly, you've done your research. Clearly, you were in the trenches. I mean, this was two years. How long were you actually filming?
1: So we were filming up until the end of last. So we were filming for a year, And and also,
0: I just want to add for everybody watching, Nora was in the middle of filming and then she went and got married.
1: Oh, like I had to schedule my wedding in. (laughs) Yeah, And to be honest with you, like, and Adam's like looking,
0: like my husband's like side eyeing me
1: because two days before my wedding, I spent a couple of days with... Men who are arrested for buying sex and then- at the,
0: at the Bunny Ranch, right?
1: Well, so we went to the Bunny Ranch. I don't remember if I went to the Bunny Ranch before or after, but no, oh. I was in Seattle and I was oh. spending time in these classes- that men had to take after being arrested for buying sex. And it was just like a very weird experience. And then, like, after my wedding, we were in Covington, Kentucky, covering, like, the opioid crisis. And I had, like, witnessed my first heroin overdose. And so it was a very – I feel bad for Adam because, like, he got thrown into, like, hey, let's get married and then, like, let you deal with all of the crap that I'm going through. And then probably – a few months after we got married, I was so I was in such a dark place that I like stopped filming for 2 weeks and I went to a self-care retreat and I was like I need help, like
0: I can't. Good for you because I was just about to ask you like how do you keep your mental stability and your emotional stability even when you're going through so much crisis after yeah. crisis when you're talking to these people. So, I think that's part of
1: why I'm really excited for the podcast is because um, I talk about like the personal aspect of all of this. Mm -hmm. In the documentary, it was very like documentary objective. And then in the podcast, I'm like, this was my personal journey going through this. And here's the reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, And
0: journalists usually don't do that.
1: Yeah, but I do that. And Mm -hmm. that's why I like I'm so firm in the way that I tell stories is because like I'm as honest as I possibly can be and mm-hmm. as vulnerable as I possibly can be because I don't think that people like, oh, us their stories. Mm. And I don't think that it's fair if we're not honest with the people who are consuming our stories, unless like we create this like open ki- openness and like vulnerability. And I'm just like, Hey, this is what I went through because listening to the podcast or watching the documentary isn't easy either. Mm-mm. And, um, and one thing
0: like, it's definitely worth the watch, you guys. You've got to check it out. Thank you. It's, it's, it's phenomenal.
1: Thank you. Um, so getting back to, like, how you deal with it, like, the, I remember there was one night where we were driving around D.C. just to, like, watch what happens at night. And um, we were driving around with, like, former cops and watching people engaging in sex work. And while we couldn't tell who was engaging in it consensually and who wasn't, there were times where we saw, like, I saw people who looked like my sister's age. And my sister just turned 13. And I remember, like, coming home that night and just, like, crying myself to sleep Mm. because it's, like, one of those things where you couldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was really hard to see. But also, like, for a lot of people who are going through that, that's actually – like, that's their – life
0: that's her life
1: and there was one survivor you i can't talked to, do anything well except for tell their story except for I hope. make a and documentary like get people yeah and to me that's like my form of activism mm-hmm. is like storytelling mm-hmm. i don't really go out with like posters and protests but i tell you guys mm-hmm. stories in the most true and honest way i can mm-hmm. and try to be as accurately representative of representative of the people that I'm talking about. Um, And I just want people to be informed. Mm -hmm. I don't, the way that we covered this has never, ever, ever, ever been done before. And I'm very, very proud of that, but it was not easy. It was extremely taxing on everybody involved. And it's something that like, I had nightmares for weeks and months about this. And it's something that like sticks with you. And then it becomes like a responsibility to talk about. Like, I think we talked about it, like in our first conversation. And I remember like leaving and Adam, Adam just thinking like, okay, this is brought up in every conversation. And it's because when you spend time in this, I'm like, I need everybody to know this is Mm -hmm. happening Yeah, because when you know that it's happening, you're able to like see things. And like, I've been able to notice when things are off. There's one survivor we talked to who was like, and her, and her like words
0: will always you mean with people that you're speaking to you can you have this new intuition when when you're speaking to someone that you can feel that something's not right is that what you're saying that
1: too, but also like when I'm like walking or driving around like there was one time I left work, and um and I saw this this trans woman who looked like she had honestly like just been severely beat up, and I like and she was walking around and I, and I could tell she was like, she needed help, but she wasn't like asking anyone for anything. And I came up to her and I was like, Hey, are you okay? And she like, was like looking around and she was like, yeah, I just like got into a fight with my boyfriend. And I was like, do you, do you need something? Is there anything I can do to help you? Are you hungry? Do you need a meal? And she was like, yeah, that would be great. And like, I took her to get food and I wanted to, like, try to comfort her and be there for her and see if there's anything she needed. I gave her a phone number of a place that I knew that housed people who had gone through something like that. And I was like, in case you need this, just here you go. And, like, here's a meal. And... I remember just, like, seeing her face, like, light up. And this was literally... And she didn't know that this was what I was, like, doing or covering, but right. I could recognize that because... You
0: saw you saw the same behavior in the people that you yeah. were doing the documentary on. And
1: just, like, hearing stories from other survivors or people who um, have gone through this, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned that, like, what to look for. And that was the thing that I always asked, is, like, what do people need to know? What do people need to see and look for? And one of the trafficking survivors we talked to was just, like... People saw me on that corner when they went to work and when they got off of work, and never asked me if I was okay. Mm -hmm. No one ever asked her,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's just like they didn't regard them as humans.
0: I mean, that is also this. Like we live, I live in New York City. Yeah, you're kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't necessarily see the same homeless people every day, but you're in this fast-paced world, and you don't think to just stop and say you know, how can I pray for you? Can I give you a meal? And, and sometimes that's
1: all it takes. And that's all it
0: takes. But I remember one time I did it and I asked this one young girl, like, can I can I pray for you? Because I just had this like overwhelming feeling that God just wanted me to go do it. And I sat there and cried with her on the street corner because it was just such this intense moment of, of her being grateful that someone reached out, but then also just having this overwhelming emotion of like, this woman is on the corner and, and she she has nowhere to go. And again, it's like all we can do is, as humans in our day-to-day life is just look out for those moments and be grateful for where we are.
1: Absolutely. So there's one. So kind of ta- talking about, that's like so beautiful and that just made my heart so happy. And um, so my family and I, we have been helping That's right, people. your mom. Yeah, my mom is an angel. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been helping people who experience homelessness for like the last 10 years. So we'll Mm -hmm. do like grocery runs for a women's shelter in Baltimore. We do welcome care packages, hygiene, hygiene care packages, and, um, winter care packages. And we pass them out. Mm -hmm. And every time we would pass them out, we would ask people like, Hey, what do you need? Because we learned like, you can't put, um, hard like granola bars in those bags because some people may not be able to chew them. Um, what like the certain hygiene things people are missing and then um the other day when we were out there not the other day earlier this year uh we asked this couple and the woman just said like we just need to be seen mm. and so that really was profound and like stuck with us and um so as of like last week my family and I launched a foundation called I see you
0: yeah to wow. like
1: actually like solidify and like scale wow. these efforts for people experiencing homelessness and I think the narrative is just like just like even if you don't have anything on you to give just like smile like Say stop hello. looking away yeah um because people are not something to be ashamed mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. just look and smile and either, whether it's a prayer or a donation or asking like hey how are you today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of that makes a huge difference it does
0: and and just to wrap up Sold in America, where can people watch it and listen to it?
1: So you can watch Sold in America on my Facebook page, Facebook.com backslash nor. All three episodes are up there. And the podcast, which the trailer dropped today and the first episode comes out October tenth. Um, for eight weeks, and that is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's called Sold in America. <laughs> I sound like I just read yeah, my thing, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. I was just <laughs> tracking it yesterday. Yes. And I'm just like,
0: wow, I've said this so many times. Um, so you're also working with Girl Boss.
1: Yeah, so I have two podcasts coming
0: out. Because um, you're a girl boss. Yeah, I'm hey, doing a podcast hey. with girl
1: boss because I'm a girl boss. Hey. So there's there's a couple of things. So obviously there's this investigative journalist side of me. Right. And then I also tour in and I talk about breaking barriers through storytelling and finding your passion. So you I talk
0: to like a magnitude of people. There was something on your story recently where you were like – you were in an auditorium, yeah. and it was, like, loaded with people. Yeah, yeah. And- i
1: That was a couple thousand people. It was one of the most beautiful... Um- speaking engagements I've ever had. It was really amazing. It was in Calgary. And I talk about breaking barriers through storytelling. And so the podcast that I'm doing with Girl Boss is called In Progress, An Imperfect Journey Navigated. And so I talked to five different women. It's 10 episodes on finding your purpose, how to um, pursue certain goals, how to take the plunge Mm -hmm. and everything in between. And it was really very, very powerful conversations. Mm -hmm. So, um, For everybody who listens to the podcast, I gave you a little positive and then a little investigative, and that's pretty much who I am.
0: That's awesome. I can't wait to – when does that come out?
1: That comes out September 28th, so by the time you see this, it'll be out. It'll be out. It's probably
0: out right now. It's out right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What? What are you grateful for today? I knew you were going to ask me that. I know. So this is a thing that Nora does. She'll just like text me randomly and she'll be like, <laughs> hey, what are you grateful for today? And it makes me literally stop in my tracks, look up and just say what I'm thankful for. And then I type it all out to Nora and I That's let her precious. know what I'm thankful yeah. for. Today, I'm thankful for my husband because yesterday he said the sweetest thing to me. He said, when you get home, I'm going to, if you have an ache in your back or a pain in your sciatic nerve, he's like, I'm going to massage it for you and- Tonight is all about you. And I was just like, what? even though I didn't make last night about me, I made everything just about going to bed and getting rest for the <laughs> next day. It was just like having him there to be that kind of support yeah. made me just, my heart so full. So I'm so, I'm thankful for him every day, but especially today. Aww. I know. Shout what out you to think? our wonderful husbands. Shout out. <laughs> what are you grateful for today?
1: Um... So I can't copy that. Okay. <laughs> I am, no. okay. Like real talk, real talk. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the fact that we are here right now because honestly. For everybody who's listening, watching, um, this has been a very long time in the making and almost like couldn't happen. And we were like, not going to take no for an answer. (laughs) So we woke up. And we're
0: talking about this interview. Like this actual interview.
1: We've been trying to do this for months and literally weren't going to take no for an answer. We were traveling the world and like squeeze this in. So what I'm grateful for is friends who support friends and for your existence and for just like... When you really want something, you
0: make it work. Amen. So I love you. I love you. Amen. So speaking of amens, let's talk about faith. I love because talking about Because I do too. And you know what? So we were saying in the beginning how in in speaking to each other, and you were saying this, and I'm just going to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying. I never, like I have many Christian friends, and we don't just sit in a car and talk about Christianity. And I And I have other friends who are agnostic, and I'm not sitting there trying to like – you know, push my faith down their throat. Totally. But when we got into the car and we were just like, hey, let's just talk about everything. And we got to openly talk about it. I got to dive into my faith in a way that I felt like I hadn't been able to dive into in such a long time. And it was like this reigniting, like I was reigniting the ignition in my- You said
1: that to me. You were like, wow, like I love my faith. Yes. And I said the exact same thing. Yes. And it was like the most- like random it was like where, our yeah.
0: aha moment of totally. like because we both said something to each other where we were both like we wish we read uh like I said I wish I read the bible more and you said you wish you read totally. the quran yeah. more and and it's like the same thing like um how we were both kind of I feel like we were both kind of in the same little rut with our faith. Like, how can we grow from here? Like, I know what I know. I want to continue to build my faith and I want to continue to share it. And here I am igniting this fire. And then boom, I think I just like, I went out and I was like, thank you, Jesus. It was amazing. And you know what it is, is I think that we
1: realized how natural it was for us to talk about Mm -hmm. that just in general, because I don't talk about religion with like, a lot of my friends, but with my husband and I, like just in everything that we do, like with career or family or everything, we just have like these little aha moments of spirituality. And it's like a really natural thing, but it was very different for like us to talk about it because we were both like bonding and growing in this sense of like, wow, like this is solidifying my faith and making me like so grateful today. And it was, I, I don't want to say it was like Right, or like it was just like this, like connected prayer, almost like it was just something that, like, I know made us you're feel, saying, you know. Well, I
0: think it's because when you're when you're speaking about your faith, whatever it is, and you're excited about it, and you're able to share it with someone else, it's almost like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because yeah, I know that I'm here as a Christian woman to share my faith and to share my experiences and to share what God has given me, and I think that that's exactly totally. what.
1: Do you feel like you get? the opportunity to talk about that enough, though?
0: No. And I I also wanted to say, like, we're not given those opportunities because either we're getting asked questions in a derogatory way or we're not in a safe space where someone wants to learn and grow. They just want to kind of fight back. And we opened up the door to each other to really just have natural conversation.
1: Totally. And I think part of that is also because naturally people have, like, anytime religion comes into a conversation if they're not either solid in what their faith is or they get uncomfortable talking about their religion there's like this defense up Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. immediately people are on the offense or like they're like wait what and like they get Mm -hmm. really uncomfortable and it's not always like natural to have spiritual conversations especially when faith is so politicized today
0: it really is like
1: no matter what your religion is but in america especially when you're muslim anytime anybody wants to talk about faith it comes into like a political stance and so you take away from that but what we learned
0: yep and what all y'all can learn is that
1: we have more in common than differences i think i
0: think what we have in common is that we are faithful to to uh, what we believe, yeah. and we stand firm in that. And that family is important, and that um, that prayer is important, and, and service. having service is important. Gratefulness is important. Yeah, having that relationship with God is very important, and um, and it's about that personal relationship. Um, and there were some differences there, also, but there when it comes down to like the nitty gritty there's a lot of differences between christian and muslim but on the surface of like what we do in our faith there's so many similarities
1: there're so many similar- similarities and actually like if you're a muslim you have to believe in christianity and judaism because we 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 call ourselves like people of the book and so like the quran the bible and the torah are fundamentally like the same book mm-hmm. and like there are different stories or different um practices of the religion but like the belief at the end of the day is like there's one god and like it's se- like that's literally to be a muslim like that is the only thing you have to say is wow. like, hey, like that's it yeah like there's so the declaration of being a muslim is the shahada uh-huh. and it's la ilaha illallah there's no god but allah one god oh wow and by the way, Allah isn't a different God. It's just the Arabic term for God. Yeah. Right. That's
0: why I keep <laughs> saying God everybody. and not Allah. No,
1: I know. Right.
0: But no, for, for yeah. all y'alls.
1: You know, we're just teaching a little bit today. Right.
0: And to be a Christian, what it's about having a personal relationship with Christ and um, asking him to come into your heart, forgive you of all your sins, and then building on that relationship and understanding what he said in in the word I say the word, but the Bible, the Bible yeah. about who you are in him. Because once you become a Christian, It's like your last name becomes Christ. So, you know, it's like Jesus Christ and I'm Ashley Christ. You're inheriting. You taught
1: me that in the car. I didn't know that. You're inheriting
0: everything that he has. You didn't know that
1: either? Yeah, you get to wait. Inherit. So everyone's te- like learning today. Yeah, I mean, so
0: this is like this is like you know your Darcell Obregon, your dad's last name is o- o- Obregon, and so, so now you inherit everything that your father gives you. So when you become a Christian, and you you inherit everything that Jesus is. So when he says that you know that you are healed, that you are wonderful, that you are wonderfully made in Him, you're you are all of those things permanently because your last name is Christ.
1: That's so cool! I
0: totally like am learning all of this all over See? again. No, we know. This is what happens when you have conversations. <laughs> yeah, thank you just for asking that. that. All you gotta do is ask some, and that's that's what I want people watching this episode to realize: is that it doesn't matter what background you come from yeah. or who you're in a car with. Just ask questions. Also, so something that we're doing now on Pretty Big Deal is that we are highlighting an initiative or a person that is a pretty big deal in their own world. That's changing the course of the world that we live in today. And today we are highlighting Jessica Castro, who is a dancer and she's toured with Beyonce and Rihanna and Janet. And she recently wrote a piece for Elle and it's a letter to a young dancer. And it's really beautiful. The video is Gorgeous, but she talks about how you have to face your fears. You have to realize that no one is perfect and you have to go after your dreams and goals. And it's just another reminder for all the young people out there like to just go after what you want. And to, and to one, something that I always have to remind myself that I had a mentor tell me in the past is start before you're ready. And if you start before you're ready, there's gonna be amazing. no, there's gonna be no roadblock in front of you that's going to keep you from doing what you want to do.
1: I love that. Right? There's something that I thought about recently that I was talking to Adam about, and it was like, we take role models and people who inspire us and it's amazing. but I truly believe to like unlock your fullest potential. Make sure you just try to be the best version of yourself. Nor I say
0: (laughs) be your own role model. I say that in speeches. Really?
1: Yes. Can I tell you why? Because here's the thing: when you take people as your role model, which is amazing, and you're putting them them here, you're putting them here. But guess what? They're imperfect too. So here is a ceiling. Yes, and. You don't want there to be a ceiling. So in order to unlock your fullest potential, you have to be like, I can do absolutely any. And if I can do it, because I can't tell you how many powerful people said no to me, Mm -hmm. if I can do it, you absolutely can.
0: Okay, I want to wrap this up because we've had such an amazing conversation. I hate wrapping things up with you. What if the
1: entire podcast was just (sighs) like every conversation of ours? I
0: know, we should just do that. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Season two? <laughs> <See>? <laughs> that's, that's it. The other thing is, we're both really like big nerds, and we like to be like. <laughs> that was so actual. So I want to do a quick little uh, rapid fire question. So oh, this is going to be pretty big deal, pretty big things in your life. So you're going to finish okay. the sentence or tell me something that, okay. that we're
1: good at finishing sentences. Okay, ready?
0: Yes. Pretty big car song.
1: Oh well, right now I'm thinking about cold little heart because that's what we sang in the car.
0: Obsessed. uh pretty big birthday.
1: Um, my twenty fifth birthday, which is in November, and yes. I'm more excited about this than any other birthday because I don't drink, so twenty one didn't matter. But I'm so sick and tired of paying the young driver rental car fees.
0: Oh, oh. November twenty seventh. Oh. <gasps> yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's that's fun. Okay, pretty big hero. My mother. Pretty big comfort food. Mac and cheese. Same. Pretty big recommend- truffle mac and cheese. Like I'm super bougie. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty big recommendation. Mm, to read forever. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> pretty, pretty big motto. Everything you want is just outside of your comfort zone. books drop in knowledge. Pretty big little lies. Um, Am I supposed to say a lie? No, you're supposed to say your favorite character on Little oh, Lies. Fa- I was like, wait. On Big Little Lies. On Big
1: Little Lies. Um, Zoe Kravitz character. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually saw Renata... The woman that plays yeah. Renata at the, at a Calvin Klein event last week. And I was just like, oh my gosh, big little lies. Like, I didn't say anything. can I meet you? Oh, hi. No. And then I, I, I kind of tried to say hi to her and then she didn't acknowledge And I was just like, okay, I'm right. just going <laughs> to see
0: you later. Oh, okay, okay, tell, tell me time. what's going on next. I know you've got Sold in America coming I out. I got Sold in
1: America coming out. I in got progress. In Progress coming out. I'm going to crash on your couch in a few weeks. Yes. Um, and those are the two big things that I allow to talk about that are coming out. So let's okay. stick with those. I get it.
0: Yeah. I understand. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause I know how that goes. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Are you kidding? Don't thank I me. This is so my much. pleasure. You're I love best. you. This is a great love fest. Darcy love fest. Linda. Thank you. Thank you. Benata. You're great. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, anchor, or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and I also want to thank all of our sponsors. And don't forget to go to Pretty Big Deal on Instagram and Twitter. We want to hear from you. And don't forget to go to the Anchor app and leave me a little voice message because I'm going to be talking to you in the after party or the after show, whichever one that's going to be. I almost. <laughs> <for> life. <laughs> no, not the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being here. Remember, you are bold, you are brilliant, you are beautiful. I'm Ashley Graham, and this is Pretty Big Deal.